My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. How about a Girl Boner Quickie? August here. Hello, everyone. In this extra special bonus episode, you're going to hear my chat with Andrew Gerza, a phenomenal disability awareness consultant and cripple content creator whose written work has been featured in the LA Times, Men's Health Magazine, Daily Extra, Gay Times UK, HuffPost, The Advocate, Everyday Feminism, and more. He was the only disabled cast member of MTV Canada's hit show, One Girl, Five Guys, and hosts Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I am a huge fan of Andrew's work and highly recommend that you check it out. Also rad, his hashtag turned movement, disabled people are hot. Andrew, you are so awesome. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, August. I'm so excited to be here. You do such a phenomenal job of shedding light on sex and disability through your podcast, Disability After Dark, your social media content, through public speaking. At what point did you decide that this would be part of your life's work? Uh, I, I, well, I didn't really have a choice. I, I finished school. I finished with a master's of law degree from Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada in 2013. And I realized really shortly after getting out of school that nobody was hiring to talk about disability the way that I wanted to. And basically my, my, my ideologies around disability were not something transferable to work, essentially is what I was being told by everyone. I was saying, oh, I want to do public speaking around disability. And they were like, great, that's a hobby. That's not a job. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Oh. So then I was kind of like, well, watch me make it a job. Like, fine. You said, no, watch me do this. I love that. It was like fuel to the fire. That's so great. And one topic that you do speak about publicly is creating a brand out of your crippled identity. How yeah. do you describe or define that identity? Um, being a, a cripple is something that I take great pride in. I would, I would recommend that if you're not disabled, don't go running down the street. And if you see a disabled person, don't start saying, hey, cripple, what's up? Don't start there. But it's a it's language that I've reclaimed for myself um, because I think I know what the history of that language is. It was a very offensive term back in the day to describe a disabled person. But also, if you look in the history, I, I, I was doing some look, some look, some looking at the history of the word. And in the 18th century, the 19th centuries, like the 1800s, rather, they would just call somebody a cripple. It was a term of just fact. They'd say, oh, you're crippled. That's what it is. And there was something always really cool about that because it just was. And that's kind of how I see my use of the word. It just is. I'm, I'm crippled and I'm disabled and that's not a bad thing. I'm not putting any negative connotation onto that. It just is what it is. And that's power, just taking away the, the, the negative. Just like how a lot of gay men and queer men will use the word Faggot as a term of endearment. It's a, I mean, they were once offensive words, but if you can reclaim them in a way, and just, and and really use them for yourself to feel better, then, I I don't see an issue with that. I see an issue when people get offended for me when I use the word cripple. They'll be like, oh no, you can't call yourself that. And I'm like, why? It's a word I chose. 
Yeah, completely. I love how you describe that. And it's, it sounds really empowering, which I think is incredibly important. So you're up in Canada, which as I understand, has somewhat better sex education than the U.S. I mean, does it though? Because Ontario just reverted its... In 2015, we had an, uh, a provincial health, a provincial uh, sex education plan for kids from ninth grade up to like the senior years. And it was a really comprehensive tool that we were using. It was talking about, about queerness. It was talking about sexting. It was talking about different kinds of sexuality and then the government that just came in last year decided to repeal that and go back to a curriculum that was 20 years ago so we sort of have better sex ed but not really yeah there's a lot of room for growth it sounds like for sure Uh, i'm curious what did you learn about sex and sexuality when you were growing up uh, whether in sex ed or elsewhere i didn't act and i talked i i talked about this for uh for something the other day. I can't remember who, who I was talking with. But they asked me to, to talk about what I learned in sex ed. I didn't learn anything about disability in my sex ed. I learned penis, vagina, that's sex. Here's how you make a baby. That's all you need to know. And that's what I remember learning. I don't remember learning anything about being queer, being disabled, none of that. So I, And also, because I was disabled, a lot of the teachers didn't feel comfortable with me in the room. So they would say things to me like, do you want to go do physiotherapy during health class? And I, not knowing any better, would say, sure, okay. And so I would go do physio work and be taken away from sex ed. So I didn't actually get a comprehensive sex ed. I, I, I'm self-taught really in that area because I was removed from those things. Which is probably why you know much more <laughs> because you, yeah, taught, exactly. you taught yourself. And I think that's really great. So these teachers who felt uncomfortable – is that because they just themselves couldn't grasp the concept of somebody with physical disability and sex or like, what is the reason do you think for that? Probably because a lot of educators don't have enough education and take, take sex out of it. They don't have education on disability. We don't talk about disability in primary education. I'm not talking college. I mean like primary, your, your formative years. We don't discuss disability. We try to, we try to say everybody's the same. And when you're a disabled kid, you learn very quickly that's not true. You aren't the same, and it's okay to be different. It's okay to be a disabled kid. It's okay. So, but the the teachers don't have tools to openly talk about that without worrying they might offend somebody. Mm. So, so we need to give educators proper language to discuss disability we need to move away from euphemisms like oh you're differently abled oh you're handy capable look if that's the term that i want to call myself then yes i am but if you don't know me i am disabled like it's that should be a standard language across the board that's so important i so appreciate you speaking to that i think we can all for sure learn from that and apply it to our lives I've interviewed a couple of uh, orgasm researchers, and one of them, Dr. Barry Kamiserik, told me that his sexuality studies started kind of on a fluke. He was studying the brains of cisgender women who had uh, severed spinal cords and had no sensation below the level of injury, and he was looking at pain thresholds, not anything to do with sexuality. Uh, And 
in doing so, they were stimulating different parts of these women's bodies. Some of the women experienced orgasm and they were all shocked, the scientists and the women, because the women had been told that they could no longer experience orgasmic pleasure, which was both really heartbreaking to hear and then really beautiful to hear because they thankfully learn differently. I wonder in all of your experience, professionally, personally, the communities that you cultivate, is that messaging, how common is it to learn that pleasure really isn't a thing if you have a, a certain type of physical disability? All the time, pleasure is denied. Pleasure is, access to pleasure is denied all the time when you're disabled. It's because it goes back to the old belief that disabled people cannot be sexual because there's something wrong with them. And so to to know that the doctors were telling these women they couldn't come to orgasm, I almost bet that many of these doctors were men telling these women that. So that's a whole other set of problems. Like, what? how dare you tell somebody that you don't know, that right. you don't know. And so, like, the 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 belief that that disabled people can't have pleasure. Like, I had sex last night with somebody. I didn't come, didn't finish, didn't care, had the best time. It wasn't about coming to orgasm for me. It was about we get to spend time together doing this mm. and whatever comes from that. Is, and I derived pleasure from that moment. And it wasn't, it, like, we're so concerned in both disabled and non-disabled ways of talking about pleasure. Pleasure doesn't have to mean I came everywhere. Pleasure can mean I spent time with a person and we enjoyed each other's bodies in whatever way that looks like. Mm, That is so beautiful. And it's something that I love about your podcast, one of many things, is that you really shed a lot of light on pleasure and disability. And specifically, I really loved your episode with Pierce Paris. You interviewed a porn star who did a new scene with a quadriplegic porn star. Yeah. Could, could you share how that came about? I thought it was so fascinating. Yeah, that was actually, uh, that was through Davey Wavy's new porn pleasure production company called Himeros.tv. And I've worked with Davey Wavy a few times now in a few different projects. I have not done porn for him yet, but Davey, I'm here. Hire me. I'm around. Let me know. <laughs> um, so I, I worked with him on a few projects and he called me and said, I got an email from this person they're paralyzed and they want to get face fucked. And I was like, oh, <laughs> all right, cool. How can I help you? And he was like, well, they want to get face fucked. They want to get face fucked by a porn star. And he's like, I've never worked with a disabled person in this way. And I know that you're really that you're a valuable voice on this. Can I can I sit with you for an hour over the phone and, and get your insight? And I was honored to be asked to do that because like, wow. So I sat with Davey Wavy for an hour on the phone and I just walked him through like if it were me here's what I want if you're if the guy's in a wheelchair here's what you should look to if you're filming it film it this way and it was a really fascinating hour to sit and talk with Davey Wavy and then about a month later I contacted Pierce Paris the porn star that um Kenneth the the paralyzed porn star had worked with and said I can I talk to you about your experience with that and he immediately said that's an amazing yes please i'd love to come on your show it's really awesome when like really attractive porn stars say yes they want to do things with me it just (laughs) makes me very excited so i was like sure um so we texted a bit back and forth and i just said i just want to ask you what it was like for you and he said you know it's it opened my eyes to different things it's something that i wasn't really 
aware of until I started doing it. And he said, you know, working with a paralyzed person, it was different, but it wasn't a bad experience. And it was really cool to hear a non-disabled person realize in that moment that that sex is for is really is for everyone, and it, he could still get pleasure from somebody who whose body is paralyzed and whose whose body doesn't work the same way that he may be used to. Mm, that's so awesome. You also, I know, talked about ways to not fetishize disability in the video. And I was really struck also, you've, I think on Twitter, have talked a little bit about it being okay to be attracted to someone. Like in some cases, it's not always like a bad thing to be attracted to someone because of their disability. Could you share a bit about that? Yeah, I got shot down for that tweet so hard pretty fast. I tweeted that out last week, and people were not happy with what I said because I think they thought that I was that I was saying that you should just totally fetishize somebody. What I was saying was that we call these people who are attracted to disability, we call them devotees because they're devoted to the idea that – because they're only attracted to me because I'm disabled. And my thinking was, why is that a problem? Why cannot – why can – disability not be the best sexiest selling point you have for me it is for me it really is where i draw the line is if you're trying to disable me more or make it dangerous for me to engage with you and remove my autonomy from the situation then it's a problem Mm. but if you came up to me and said andrew i think you being in a wheelchair is fucking sexy i want to go do stuff about that i'm not going to say no (laughs) that's so interesting because it's porn in general is I mean, it's kind of fetishizing in a way, right? Like it's people go, they search for the thing that they're attracted to, right? Like there's, there's some objectivity built in, in a potentially very positive way, right? Like if there's something for everyone. And to me, I always think the objectifying people, we all want to be objectified sometimes. We just don't want to be mistreated. We don't want to be like, we don't want our humanness to not be seen, Exactly. And I think with, with devoteeism, if you are mistreating me in any way, then I have a huge problem with it. But if if somebody said to me, I think your disability is the sexiest thing about you, and I'd like to go get naked with you because of that, I'm not going to say no to that. That's a great, that's amazing. Because so like, it's such a tenuous discussion, because so often, we say as disabled people, oh, I, won't, I wish somebody would find me sexy. I wish somebody would find me attractive. I wish, I wish, I wish. And there's a whole group of people who who do find you attractive, but then what happens is we're afraid of it. So I think the disabled community, and I understand why there's a fear on that, and nobody wants to be, like, again, put in harm's way or dehumanized, but I think the disability community needs to relax a little bit and realize that there's a, there's a whole other community that might love you and might find you as really attractive because you're disabled. And that isn't a bad thing. That's really not a bad thing. Mm, thank you for that. That's really profound and insightful and thought provoking. I have a question from a listener. Do you mind if I share it? Cause I feel like you'll have some awesome thoughts. Sure. Before you give me that though, I wanted to just do a little quick caveat though. Please. I do think, I do think that about the, the, the devotee thing, I think there is a lot of privilege that I have in saying that cause I'm a cisgender white man saying that. So I think, devoteeism also gets tangled up with misogyny and all that stuff. So I think if you're being a misogynist and you're using a disabled woman's body and doing that kind of stuff, that's a problem. So don't mix misogyny and your love of disability and and 
that's a really toxic combination. Mm. But other than that, I think being a devotee is no problem. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I super appreciate that. So I received this question from a listener who said they met somebody online and started up an online romance and then quickly learned that the person is in a wheelchair. They said they want to pursue an in-person relationship and they're all for it, but they're also really nervous about, quote, screwing it up. They added that they don't know how to even start going about sex with someone without much sensation from the waist down and said that it took them long enough to figure out sex without the wheelchair and now they feel like they don't know where to start. Do you have any tips for this person or for someone else who might be considering a relationship with someone who has a physical disability? Sure. Uh, the first thing, and, and that's a great that's a great call-in. Um, the first thing I would say is don't worry about fucking up. You're going to fuck up. You're going to say something inappropriate. You're going to be, you're going to have ableist thoughts. You're going to fuck it up, and that's not, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's how you handle the fuck up. It's how you, if the disabled person doesn't like what you said or is offended, and that's their right to be that way, but it's how you handle that. If they say, let's not do that again, then you don't do that again. But I think asking questions and being open to that stuff and being prepared to fuck up as with any relationship on a first go-round, you're going to fuck it up somewhere, and that doesn't mean you're a bad person. And if the disabled person can't handle that that time, that's okay. But you shouldn't overly censor yourself because you're worried of fucking up. Um, the larger part of that question was about about uh, you don't know how to go about it. You know, follow the disabled person's lead. If you're lucky enough to get into bed with this person, because... It's a fucking privilege to sleep with us. We're like unicorns uh, in the night. Um, no, I'm kidding. But if, <laughs> if you're lucky enough to sleep with this person, they'll guide you as to what to do. You don't really need to know a lot. You don't need to over-educate yourself on how, to f- on how to fuck a disabled person. Because you know why? Every disabled person is different. So you could read all this stuff in a book about a certain type of disabled person. And then the person you meet could have a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. So let the disabled person take the lead on that. And what you need to know, they'll, they'll tell you. I love that because it really is an important practice for all of us to be in tune with someone and to let the experience and the person guide us. And and it kind of goes into consent a little bit because it's about, you know, creating that sort of trust and, and making sure you're on a similar page. Is consent an issue that is has unique challenges around it? for people with disabilities. Oh, yeah. Consent is a big, big thing we don't talk about enough in. Uh, and not just sexual spaces, disability spaces. People touch our mobility devices all the time. People, I'm sure you've seen that YouTube video where that woman wanted to wanted her kid to play with that guide dog and the woman said no and she freaked out and filmed it and did a whole thing on YouTube about how inappropriate that was. Like, that's consent. The woman said no. It's her mobility device. Don't touch my thing. My friends who are wheelchair users all the time get their the backs of their chairs touched by random strangers. You don't get to touch my thing. So consent is a consent is a huge thing in in disability spaces because people assume that because we're disabled we automatically I'll give you consent to do whatever you want. That's not true. Um, and when it comes to sex, saying yes is just as important as saying no. If I say yes to you coming into my bed or you making out with me or you touching my balls. Whatever it is, I'm being super blue. I hope that's okay. Of course. Um, um, for you doing whatever you want with me, if I say yes to that, 
you again, you better fucking bow down. It's a privilege to be in my bed as a disabled person. And because I have to put a lot of trust in you, I have to for myself, I have to get you to learn how to get me out of my chair. I have to get you to position me right. I have to get you to make sure that I'm comfortable the whole way through and put a lot of trust in you. That's a huge exercise in trust. And saying no, I think saying no to consensual stuff is hard too because what if you're disabled and you can't masturbate? What if you're disabled and you can't access porn? What if you live in a group home and you don't have access to that stuff? So your chance to be sexual could only come once every six months or once every year or once you know once you can get away from your caregivers to go get laid so you might have trouble saying no because this is your only shot so it comes it's a lot more gray than just yes or no and mm-hmm. i think we need to talk way more about that in the disability sphere yeah yeah those are such valuable points you brought up the inability to masturbate what are some of the ways to navigate that? I know I've, I read an article once about somebody who had like, um, I don't know if you call it a a sexual surrogate or a sex worker, maybe it's both. Uh, but they had, I think it was a relative in this case, which was pretty controversial, but. Oh yeah. I I know exactly the one. I know. Yep. Yep. I, okay. Look, I read that article a bunch. It's a woman, it's a man in India who I think it was in India, and I did a, I did a news story on it on my podcast on episode, like, 60 or something. Um, he was masturbating his son so his son could receive pleasure. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know how I feel about that because I love my parents and they support what I do, but I never in a million years would be like, hey, Dad, you want to help me get off? No. But, I mean, I might have a conversation with my parents about, hey, do you want to help me hire a sex worker so I can so I can do that? But I think this father is mistaken in getting his son off because, that, I mean, it just feels really wrong. Um, I think that access to sex work should be totally funded by governments for disabled people and should be totally, totally an option if you want it to be. Because yeah. I work with sex workers primarily to get my needs met. And I have to tell you, it has been some of the best sexual experiences I've ever had because I feel safe. I run the show and I'm putting my hard-earned money down to get that hour and a half of time with that person. So it's there's no pity there. There's I made the decision. I have the agency. I did this. So I think that... One of the ways you navigate not being able to masturbate is hiring a sex worker. Absolutely. How do you go about hiring one or choosing one? Is it easy to have access? I mean, obviously, it would be awesome. I mean, imagine if health insurance covered it, right? And you get referrals. It would be so great. It would be so great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It's it's sexual health as well and mental health and all these things. But um, until we get there, which hopefully we will, um, how do you go about finding sex workers and choosing who you'll work with? I mean, I go on a site where male, I'm not going to name it just to protect everybody, but I go on a site where um, there are men available and I just, I, I, I vet them and I talk to them and I say, have you ever had sex with a disabled client? And, you know, one of my kinks is that they say no, 
I get really turned on because I know then that I can teach them about sex and disability through my lens and give them a really good experience with a with a client who can guide them on how to do what and how things go and how it's going to be. And I love so I love when they say no because I get to be your first. I make a joke that I, I get to be your first cripple, and there's something kind of powerful about that. So I go on the site and I vet them that way, and then after the first session, I see I ask them how they feel. And I asked them how, what it was like for them. And I asked them if they were uncomfortable. or I really, I want to make sure they're comfortable too. Because I'm not one of those clients who doesn't give a shit about my worker. I really value the relationship that we build together. So now I have three that I see on a regular basis. And I see them every few weeks. And we, you know, they alternate and all those things happen. And, and I have the financial privilege to cover that. I'm very lucky that I do. Um, but I see them when I can and it's really it's such a friendly safe powerful bunch of relationships because it's not romance which means when we're done it's done I don't have to be attached to somebody I don't have to worry necessarily about how 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 are they feeling about me, me romantically I know that I can get off enjoy myself with somebody that I trust and then move on with my day and, and them too mm, that's really beautiful and I'm so glad that you do have access to that that sounds really awesome do you seek relationships and dating and stuff like that, or is that not really on your radar right now? It would, I mean, it would be nice to. I, I've tried, but I'm so often confronted with ableism and confronted with really, really mean and uneducated things about my disability. I had somebody once, uh, a few months ago, I said I have CP, and their very first response was, Oh, I'm so sorry. It breaks my heart how much you have to go through. And I was like, well, I don't have to go through a lot. Why do I have to go through this right now? Like, why is this happening? Yeah, you're the problem. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I just – I it's not that I don't want a date. It's just that hiring somebody for two hours is a lot easier than having – and if I want to go on dates with my sex worker, paid for, obviously. But if I want to go on dates with them and do stuff that isn't sex, I can do that too. So I'm not losing anything by not engaging in the romantic relationships in fact, I'm gaining autonomy, which I think is really like I, I kind of love that I'm single and I, if I wanted to engage in a relationship, I could. And a lot of the sex workers I see, they're in polyamorous relationships with other people, and so it did. It doesn't feel like I'm missing out because I, I, when I pay somebody, I still get the end of the session is like, do you want to have sex or not? And sometimes we say no. Sometimes like I'm having a session tonight, to be honest, and all we're gonna do is. Cuddle and watch Family Guy, and that's you know I'm I'm so excited about that because it's it's time to be with the person and see what happens. Oh, that is awesome! That sounds like a super fun night too. That's great. Can we talk about your incredible hashtag that has gone around the world and is so incredible? I am so ready. Yes. <laughs> Disabled people are hot. Tell me about the <clears throat> inception. What was your first tweet with it? Do you remember? My first tweet was. I put a picture of my of my actually my very first tweet yeah I put a picture of myself up on Twitter with my I was naked in my wheelchair with a hat over my with a hat that said cripple over my genitals and I took this picture like years and years ago for something else and I had it in my inbox and I just used it put it up there and I said I'm not afraid of your body why are you afraid of mine hashtag disabled people are hot I put it up and then I looked at the automatic Twitter hashtag thing that comes up. I went in there and I typed in the hashtag and it was like, 
this hashtag has never been used before. And I was like, what? That's, I was surprised. I was like, why has not another disabled activist working in this area put these words together in a hashtag? What? So as soon as I knew that it hadn't been used, I was like, I have to jump on this right now before somebody <laughs> like does it before I do. So I jumped on it right away and said, if you are disabled and you have a picture that makes you feel happy, makes you feel sexy, makes you feel good about yourself, put it up and please use the hashtag disabled people are hot. And I didn't think anything of it. I put it up and I was like, okay, I'll get one or two likes, maybe 10 likes and a few retweets. Sure. Because, <laughs> you know, Twitter can be fickle that way. You never know what's going to go. Yeah. So I, I said, okay. So I went to bed about an hour later and I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning and I had 200 plus mentions <clears throat> in my Twitter feed with the hashtag. And I could not believe the response I got from people all over the world using the hashtag. It blew up oh, literally overnight. Mm, it's so incredible. And it's been really awesome to see all the different people who've been, I mean, seeing their photos and the different messages. And one thing I've noticed is pretty much every time I see some one of your tweets or a piece of your content getting lots and lots of traffic, there are multiple people saying, thank you for helping me feel seen or I feel seen. Yeah. Which just gave me chills just thinking about that because, and you did that for me as well. I remember when you, you shared that you wanted to promote like artists and, you know, if you're creating something and you have a disability, I want to share it. And, and I was like, Oh, that's really cool. Not thinking that I have any reason to like share anything, but then you put something about neurodiversity and I thought, Oh my gosh, uh, I've never really talked about ADHD in a context of sexuality in like a really deep dive way. And you provided that opportunity for me and it was so touching and I'm so grateful. And I felt again, seen is, is that kind of what your mission or one of your missions is for people to feel seen? It's become that when I started the hashtag, even disabled people are hot. People would say, well, I'm not physically disabled. Am I allowed to, to be included? And I came back right away with, of course you are. Like, what right do I have as a disabled person to say, no, you're not included here. That's, that's, I just think that's really wrong. And so anybody listening who's disabled and who wants to join the hashtag, whether you're physically disabled, neurodiverse, whatever it is, you're welcome to the hashtag because if you identify as disabled, then it's a community. And I want to, I want to build community more than anything. So yeah, it has become my mission to invite people in. And I, I love the, the if you're creating something kind of thing I'm doing too because I love seeing what people are doing and it shows that it shows it goes against the face of that capitalist idea that disabled people don't have economic value well yeah we do look there's like hundreds and hundreds of tweets from that thread of people saying I make this I do this here's what I do hire me blah blah like it's so beautiful to see that disabled people jumped on that I just think I love that my little tweets from my house when I'm bored and want to have a glow up have that kind of response. Mm-hmm. That's so wonderful. I know one of your missions is to help people understand what disability really feels like. Yeah. What, what does disability feel like for you today? I love it. I think it's, it's my most powerful asset. It's the strongest and best part of me. Um, I'm also learning to, over the last week, I 
you know, in our culture, we're so quick to cancel somebody for saying the wrong, for saying quote unquote the wrong thing. I'm learning that I have to listen to non-disabled people and disabled people when they have differing views on disability than I do, because sometimes I get really angry when, when they say something that I would not agree with. And so I used to cancel them really quickly. I'm learning now to be like, nope, this other disabled person has a different view. They're still valid, and I can't be so quick to remove them. But to answer your larger question, um, my disability is, it feels great most of the time, but there are some times where, because of ableism and because of our prejudice towards the disabled community, it can sometimes feel really crappy, and I'm, I'm not always the happiest with it, but I, I wouldn't change it for the world because it's brought me community. Mm, that is really, really gorgeous. Tell people how they can learn more about you, buy your shirts, join your hashtag, all the good stuff. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Um, so you can learn more about me by going to andrewgerza.com, uh, where you can hire me. You can see some videos I've done. You can download my podcast because it's really cool. Also, August was on the podcast on episode 131, so you should mm-hmm. all listen to that one. Um, we had a really fun, I love that chat so much. It was so fun. Mm, um, um, you can buy my shirts. If you go to, uh, podcast jukebox.com, you can go to their store there and click on the disabled people are hot thing and you can get a shirt. Also, if you want to donate money so that I can give a disabled person with lower income a shirt, you can hit me up on PayPal at PayPal dot me slash andrew gerza and you can send me 25 to 50 bucks so i can send out a shirt to a disabled person and lastly you can follow me on all the social media at the andrew gerza Hmm. and one last word of wisdom from you for anyone who's listening who is disabled and they are feeling like they aren't so sexy what would you recommend i would say Drop a picture in the disabled people are hot hashtag and let 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 our community show you you are. You don't have to look conventionally attractive to feel sexy. I don't. I don't care. It's fine. You're sexy no matter how you are configured. And if you're disabled, own that and and make that one of the best parts of your of your sexy repertoire because it, it's it really gives you a leg up, pun intended. <laughs> See, I told you he was awesome. Thanks again, Andrew, for all you do. And I will be back with another Girl Boner Quickie soon. 